Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio and love all things tech. I'm getting faster and faster with those, aren't I? It is time for another classic episode of Tech Stuff. This one has the title, Mod That Bod, Body Modification, Seriously, cool, and sometimes weird and sometimes disturbing stuff. This episode originally published on August 28th, 2013. Hope you guys enjoy it. We talked about piercing. Let's talk about actually uh, putting stuff under the skin. Now, there are lots of different versions of this. Now, subdermal, the, the hint is in the name, right? Subdermal. So it's beneath the dermis. The dermis. Yes. So, uh, so, so, so again, the epidermis is the skin that you can poke. Uh, yeah. the, the dermis is the, um, more permanent layer below that. And right. then, and then you've got subdermal, um, fatty, muscly, subcutis. Yeah. Some other layers. And we'll talk about a couple of them. Uh, so yeah, the subcutis, uh, is this layer below the dermis. Um, actually, subdermal implants go between the subcutis la- layer and the fascia, which is the fibrous tissue that serves as connective tissue. So this is pretty deep stuff. And the reason for that is these are shapes that people put under their skin so they protrude outward. Normally, it's in some places fairly visible, like... Your Your forehead? Not my forehead. I'm not going to do this. A person's, a hypothetical person's forehead or forearm? forehead, forearm, uh, sometimes the collarbone area. Sure. Uh, it really can be anywhere, but these are the typical places it tends to be. And so uh, people who are into this kind of body modification will usually pick a fairly simple shape because it needs to stand out when, you, when you're looking at the person's, you know, wherever the, the implant is, that you can recognize what the shape is. Otherwise, it's just going to look like a lump. Like a blob, and that's kind of weird. Yeah. 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 So uh, usually it's a fairly distinctive, simple shape that is designed to create a visible bulge in wherever the person has chosen to have the implant. So stars, hearts, beads, sometimes just round beads are, are That's the example. most common form that I've seen. Yeah. Uh, and to do this, again, this now when we're starting to get into these levels, we're really talking about you need to do your research. Right. Because now we're getting into surgical procedures. Anytime they're making an actual cavity, and in fact, pocketing kind of fits in this too. Anytime they're making an actual cavity in your body, now you're talking serious surgical procedure, you need to make sure that the person who's going to be performing it is not only sterilizing all their equipment, but that they are experienced in doing this. Preferably, you would like to find a body modification specialist who has medical training. Right. Uh, it is. I, I believe it's technically illegal for people without... Medical training. It all depends on where you are. Yeah, it, it varies by state because, and, and by other regionality. Right. There's some states that are like, whoa, we totally didn't ever think anyone would do that. So we don't have anything on the law. However, because, serving pretzels with beer is still terrible. Right. We've legislated. That's an actual law still on the books in some places. So uh, if you want to talk about crazy laws, where I grew up, it's illegal to eat fried chicken with a fork and knife. You have to eat it with your fingers. You are joking. No. If I were joking, I'd say a horse walks into a bar and bartender says, why the long face? I am being perfectly serious. However, I should add that this was a uh, publicity stunt because Kentucky Fried Chicken opened up a branch in Gainesville, Georgia, and Gainesville, Georgia is the poultry capital of the world. And so as a publicity stunt, they made it illegal to eat fried chicken with a fork and knife. So it was a joke law in the first place. I am completely horrified by our legal system right now. I'm a rural bumpkin. So anyway, um, yeah, so not a lot of, n- not every place has 
legislation on this because, frankly, people didn't think it was going to do it. Uh, <laughs> but really what's going on here, here, here's the process. They make a surgical incision. Uh, by the way, uh, you might be lucky and get some kind of anesthetic for this, but more likely than not, you're you're not going to get it because anesthetic that is, or perhaps a topical anesthetic, maybe, maybe, because I think you can get a hold of those pretty easily. You might just get some ice on the area before they get started to numb it because anesthetic that is legislated mm-hmm. and that's heavily controlled in most places. So most places don't have any kind of uh, authority to allowance. Use. Yeah, for, they right. can't use it. So you have to be willing to endure this without any, like, actual super anesthetic. So they make a surgical incision, and then they insert something called a dermal elevator. Tell me, tell me what a dermal elevator is, Jonathan. Well, it's not, it's not gonna have Otis on it, so it's not mechanic. It's, uh, well, it, you can no, say, no ropes and pulley systems. No, 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 there's no moving parts. Okay. It, it is mechanic in the sense that you have to at, put mechanical stress on the end of it. Okay, so imagine a spatula. Or a butter knife. Okay. That's medical grade. Sure. So sterilized, all that. Mm-hmm. You've made an incision. The artist then inserts the dermal elevator under the flap of skin between the subcutis and fascia le- layers. And just, just levers it? Levers it up a little bit? Yeah. Enough to slip whatever? Se- separating the tissues so mm-hmm. that there can be something inserted, inserted. there and making a, essentially an internal pocket inside that area. And then... Um, Gently, perhaps. Uh, actually, crossed. usually it's not so gentle. They there's a pretty. Usually it's a pretty sharp, swift yeah. push of the. You know, honestly, it's a band-aid off kind of situation. I would rather. Yeah. You know, if if, if I were going to do that, I they, would rather it ha- happening quickly. They put the implant underneath that layer, and mm-hmm. then they they suture it. So okay. they suture it close. Now mm-hmm. we're talking like. Again, now you got to worry also that the implant itself has got to be absolutely sterile. Very sterile, very sterile. Uh, uh, originally, it was stainless steel, yeah, medical grade. Which uh, could cause problems, mm-hmm. so they did uh, switch. Yeah, t- today it's uh, silicone yeah. or si- silicon, I'm sorry. No, or silicone, is it silicone? silicone, not For silicone. once! Sil- silicone, I got though. it right and then corrected myself. <laughs> it's okay, Crap. it's okay. We'll get to silicon later, because we're talking about Mr. Warwick, but, but he's at the end. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, it's silicone. They also sometimes use implant-grade Teflon, uh, but that's more rare. Silicone is by far the most common stuff they use right. to make these designs, right? Mm-hmm. And they shove that in, suture it into place. Uh, there's there's a high risk here of multiple things going wrong, and healing w- from these things takes a long time, much longer than a tattoo, much longer than a typical piercing. Um, we're talking months and months and months of healing, so uh, there's obviously the, the danger of infection. That's a big one. There's also the danger that your body rejects the implant, that the, your body essentially identifies the implant as something that is trying, yeah, something that's trying to hurt it. it. Yeah. Yeah. And in this case, uh, you would then you know, suffer some pretty, some pretty irritating side effects until you either were able to treat those symptoms or you would have the, the implant removed. Now, keep in mind, this implant's also going to possibly... Shift things around a little bit, so you might not look the way you did before the implant. Once you have an implant taken out, um, you could have plastic surgery to have that corrected. So plastic surgeons, it's perfectly reasonable. It's within societal norms. It's what they do. It's perfectly reasonable for them to alter a person's exper- uh, appearance to be closer to whatever the whatever social ideal is. Right. Not whatever they want, just the hmm. social ideal. 
if it's outside the social ideal, like if it's outside the social norm, they are not allowed to do it. Really? Yes. Plastic surgeons are not allowed to do subdermal implants, transdermal implants, some of these other things we're going to be talking about. In general, it is against their oath to do that. They can make someone look more like everybody else, but they can't make someone look less like everybody else. That's crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's getting into weird, like, uglies, pretties territory, which is a young adult series that I don't know if anyone listening to the show has has read. They were were cute books. Um, But I I take issue. Cute books about a dystopian future, (laughs) wherein everyone gets a lot of plastic surgery. Yeah. I definitely take issue with it just from the idea of... It's okay for 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 you to alter a person's appearance in one set of circumstances, but not in the other, and yeah. you're not hurting anyone. Right, right. And I mean, obviously, it's, it's, like, it's like, well, what's normal? Right. Do you right? And, and for body modification, I would prefer it if there were plastic surgeons who could do this because they're the ones who are going to do it in the most safe way. Hypothetically. Hypothetically, yeah. We have a story about that too, because uh, <laughs> I've got a. There's a guy. Oh boy, is there a guy? So subdermal. <laughs> We've got this. Uh, you've got the whole healing. The healing process is slow. Uh, you've got the danger of rejection, danger of infection, um, and then uh, uh, r- r- risk of damage to any other tissue that's surrounding. I mean, right. for for example, nerves running through your skin. Sure. If you if you mess with one, uh, bad stuff can happen. Yeah, you can and lose that, that feeling. Can, that can, can technically happen in any piercing. You know, you, sure. But yeah. but but you know, the larger the the operation, the greater the risks. Right. I mean, just that makes sense. Sure. Uh, and uh, you know, the, so. Yeah, dangerous stuff, uh, and I would prefer it if it could be done by medical professionals, um, but that's, a, that's an issue. Another interesting one is um, uh, dermal anchors or transdermal implants. Oy. <laughs> oh, this this is one. This is one that you dislike. Okay, so, it so I don't dislike it, but I don't know. I can't decide whether it, the subdermal ones or the transdermal ones are the ones that make me feel the most uncomfortable. I, I really enjoyed reading about the transdermal ones. They're, actually. It's cool. It's fascinating. Okay, so so what these do, they're they're like a subdermal implant in that you are you are implanting or a trained professional with sterile materials right. is implanting a little bit of something into your skin, but a little bit of that little bit sticks out and the skin heals around it. And therefore, um, you have something that's visible. You have something that's visible that frequently will allow you to, um, to screw different studs in and out to, right. yeah, to, to change the appearance of your of, of piercing your implant. Yeah. Right. So, so, for subdermal, obviously subdermal, meaning that it's completely under the skin. So you're just looking at a design that... That is in your flesh. That's in your flesh. Transdermal, trans, gives you that, there's the hint there. It it, it goes it through breaches, the skin. Yeah. Right. So you could have it designed so it looks like you've been uh, uh, impaled by something, theoretically. Or you could have spikes along your head, which, by the way, seems to be the most popular implementation of this particular kind of implant that I have seen in all the body modification research I did. I've I've seen a lot of a lot of little uh, flat metal pieces that look like they're just inlaid directly into your skin, or, or gemstones for fancy occasions, right? So right? Sure. If you're attending the Academy Awards and you don't want your your spikes to uh, impale someone when you give them a hug on the red carpet, you switch to the gemstones. I would I would keep the spikes. Um, well, but- you would. One, yeah. You know, and it looks a little bit like a like a very fancy mole. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. So uh, interesting. Another interesting bit here is uh, there. I remember seeing a video of this years ago, and the story actually turns out to be pretty awful as it goes on. But I remember a story about a guy who invented a an approach to toupees 
that was a little extreme, I thought. I thought, wow, this is preferable to hair loss. Uh, but uh, the, his approach to toupees was to do a transdermal implant that was snaps. So you would have four snaps. I think it was four. Might have been more than that, but four snaps on, implanted underneath the skin wow, like of his skull. Subdermal plugs. That's yeah, and then and then you would the the toupee gross. the toupee okay. had the other snaps on the other on the underside, right? Mm-hmm. And you would knock it in, and it had this great sound when he was putting it into place, like it sounded like you know like like, like that. That's what it sounded like each time. And so uh, I remember seeing this and thinking, like, this is extreme. Who the heck? I mean, as a bald man, and I'm not. I'm not bald by choice. Yes. <laughs> this was this choice was forced upon me. Uh, I was like, yeah, I think I'd choose bald I think any day. Think than that. But anyway, the story actually has a pretty horrifying turn. So Anthony Pignataro is the name of the plastic surgeon who came up with this. First of all, um, one of his patients that he was operating on died. Uh, uh, it was a, I think it was breast augmentation surgery, and she she died. During the process, and and he had a whole uh, uh, legal problem with that, and you know had to deal with that. Then, to make things even more tragic and and horrifying, he gets out of prison, and his wife starts to get sick, and it looks like she has pancreatitis. And in fact, uh, there's the possibility that they might need to have a surgery, and he really advocates for the surgery. And she gets a little suspicious about what's going on, and then it turns out she finds out he's been poisoning her with arsenic. Oh, yeah. all right. So uh, he he, he goes like an upstanding citizen. Yeah, nice dude. Um, so yeah, he he gets he gets charged with uh, a various various uh, poisoning related charges. Um, I think 2013. I think he might be able to get out of jail this year, actually. Uh, and was he was contesting last I saw he was contesting a a decision from the judge that upon his release he would be required to be under some form of supervision for another five years and apparently uh, he stated that because that was not told to him at his previous trial it cannot hold up because he was not informed of that at the time when he should have been so he's saying that it's a legal uh, mistake. That was made, and so therefore he should not be under supervision. The DA in this case has essentially called him a sociopath. Huh. So not a happy story. But that was the very first time I had ever seen anything about transdermal implants. It was this thing, this toupee thing. I had never seen it before. I was a kid at the time, or at least a teenager, when I saw this this video. And uh, now, I mean, it's not like I know a lot of people who have transdermal implants, but I have seen them. Especially if you go to places like DragonCon. Sure. You see all sorts of folks in various subcultures there. Yeah. Hey, guys, I just had to take a break from putting magnets in my kneecaps. Don't ask why. But uh, we're going to take a quick break. I think that I've actually muddied our waters here and uh, confused um, a transdermal er, and microdermal implants. No, well, they're very similar. Microdermal is really just a subset of transdermal. Okay. So microdermal, really the big difference there is that they try to use smaller surface anchors, which are the the little flat parts that fl- that go underneath the skin. So those are the parts that are uh, that are, are uh, under your skin, so that it holds the jewelry in place. But they're, and they tend to be the smaller things, like the little gemstones or whatever. But uh, you could just as well do that with transdermal if you wanted to. Transdermal does tend to look like it tends to be applied to stuff that's bigger, 
microdermal, same sort of approach. If you've ever seen anyone who has like this little jewel stone just sticking out someplace from their body. That uh, doesn't seem like you could normally, it's not like a, like a labray piercing or something. Yeah. No, it's, it's next to their eyeball. Right. So it's a possibility that it's a microdermal implant. Uh, it, these implants tend to have a lower rejection rate than transdermal and subdermal do. Doesn't mean that you're going to get away without any problems, but it does mean that the odds are better. Um, they tend to have uh, holes in the base, the flat part that goes under the skin, and those holes are meant for tissue to grow through them to help anchor. To grip on, yeah. yeah. Sure. So, so it, it, it's That's supposed clever. to provide stability. Now, of course, that means that you have to wait through the healing process. And again, you don't want to get one of these somewhere where you're going to brush it against stuff all the time because that's just going to make the healing process take even longer. It also increases the chance of rejection. There's also something called migration, which is pretty much what it sounds like. Uh, stuff can move around uh, a bit, and you don't want that because then you're going to get an effect that was not what you wanted. Right. Um, and there's also the idea of, uh, you know, like surface piercings, which are kind of similar. Like uh, surface piercings are... Um, these are the piercings that involve longer pieces of jewelry that go through the hole. So we're talking like surface piercings might be above your hip bone. You might have seen some people who have those, or it can be, uh, you know, uh, along an arm or whatever. These are longer pieces of jewelry, sometimes several inches long or more like two inches long. They go underneath the skin. You see the ends of it. Uh, from what I understand from the sources I've read, Surface piercing is one of those things that's best left as a temporary jewelry. So, in other words, you use it for whatever you're going to do. Like, maybe you're part of a performance art and you want to have the corset look along your back. Mm -hmm. I've seen that, where people have had surface piercings that are hoops all down their backs, and then they lace, lace them together lace yeah. them together like it's a corset. Mm -hmm. uh, and not pulling the way that a corset would, no. but, but the, the design is created in a way that yeah. would look like there a might be, corset. There, there might be a little tension just to give the full effect, but not like tied tight. <laughs> right. You would not want to do that. Um, it's, by the way, I have seen that. It is a dramatic effect. It's pretty gorgeous. It's... Yeah, even even someone who's a vanilla as I am, out, yeah, yeah. I, I see them like, wow, that's pretty Striking. incredible. Yeah, mm -hmm. it definitely it makes you look twice. Well, again, better left as more of a temporary thing because there are issues with migration with those too, where you know you it, your, the, your skin is a living thing. It's yeah. it's the largest organ on your body, as everyone knows, yep. and it 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 does stuff. It doesn't just stay put. Yeah, so. Uh, that's that's something else to keep in mind. Like stuff don't stay where you thought it would. Now we get to uh, super fun times, right? This is this next one is one. Okay, that I'm just gonna cry for the rest of this podcast. Jo Jonathan came to my desk earlier and and was just like, "Why did I watch the video? Why do people in the Netherlands do this to their eyes?" We are about to talk about eyeball implants. Yeah, also called eye piercing. Yeah. Why? So in 2002, the Netherlands Institute for Innovative Ocular Surgery developed an implant that goes into the superficial interpalpable conjunctiva in the eye, which is essentially the white of your eye. It's it's, it's the sclera. Yeah. Um. It's it's a which is a um protective layer that that wraps around the eye from the cornea in the front all the way to the ocular nerve in the back. It's a it's horrifying, people. I mean, okay, I don't, I don't judge. I don't judge. If you're from the Netherlands and you've had this process, you are insane. But I'm not judging. <laughs> I'm just making an observation. No, okay, okay. All joking aside, 
Yeah, this is an implant. They they take a platinum alloy, which is the jewelry itself. And the jewelry tends to be a very tiny and very simple shape. In fact, there's only a few shapes that are even available. Things like and the one I kept seeing was hearts. Right. So the procedure involves immobilizing both eyes. They use anesthetic drops. This is very similar to the kind of stuff you might get if you were to go get laser eye surgery. Okay. It's a good thing Chris isn't here because he would totally flip. Our laser eye surgery, he turned a shade of green I have never seen before. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, uh, they then uh, they then cut a little pocket into your eye. It's essentially the same thing as the surface anchors that you see uh or the other kind of implants we've talked about. But in this case, it's smaller, and it's in your eye. And it's in your eyeball. And, you're, and they, they put this uh, little implant so that the, the design of whatever it is is laying flat against your eyeball. So you, you, if you were looking at someone who had one of these, you'd see their pupil, which would be unaffected, because obviously you don't want to do anything that's going to affect the person's vision. And then next to it, if they were looking off to either the left or right, depending on what side they got it on, um, you would then see the little piece of jewelry. Uh, this is not legal anywhere outside of the Netherlands. And in fact, I think there are places in the United States that are actively uh, making it illegal because before it ends up taking off somewhere else because I guess they saw pictures of it and went, whoa, no. no way. Yeah, that's yeah. essentially the response. Yeah. And then, uh, oh, in order to do this, by the way, they, with that, that incision, there's more than just the incision. Then they inject liquid between the layers of the eyeball where the implant's base will go. So I actually did watch a video of this procedure, and then I needed to go to my happy place for a while, which, by the way, was Farmburger. I was actually able to eat. I wasn't so upset that I couldn't eat. You have to make me really upset before I can't eat. Another fun thing that you can do to uh, to the white of your eye is <laughs> tattooing. Oh, man. Um, back in, supposedly, back in 1903, an eye surgeon tattooed a fake pupil onto the all-white eye of, uh, of a man who had um, lost sight as a child due to poison ivy exposure. So this was an attempt to give this man something more. A normal about, appearance. Right. Right. Um, and uh, in, in modern, not in modern times, but in the, in the late 1800s and early 1900s, um, eye doctors would inject ink into patients' eyes to cover up um, uh, disfiguring corneal scars. Okay. Uh, this this process is no longer really necessary because um, uh, procedures. Uh, reconstructive improved. surgery right, has has right. improved to the point that it's okay. But um, but yeah, as as of two thousand seven, at a Canadian body mod convention, the three volunteers um, had ink injected with hypodermics. Uh, regular tattoo needles were not working out. They they tried and it and. <laughs> Jonathan is so upset by this information. I'm just thinking of a drill coming at my eye. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I can handle my arm or my back, but my eye. I supposedly, uh, after about after about <laughs> forty pricks with a tattoo needle, um, they they gave up that. So many and, jokes. And went went into um went, went into using a hypodermic and uh and 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 dyed their the the whites of their eyes blue. Supposedly, the the ink spread out over the next few weeks um, to to cover the entire white of their eye rather than just the portion that had been tattooed. Tattooed, and so um, now they have blue eyes all over. Supposedly, yeah, and uh, and and this was inspired by Dunes Freeman, who you know are intaking the spice and have the bright, crazy blue eyes. And spice must flow. Spice must flow, and yeah, um, it's not it's not really legal or recommended. 
uh, even the people who have had it done said, you know, have, have gone on record about the number of terrible things that can happen if you if you do this. And so, you know, another way you can get blue eyes is uh, through Argyria, which is just the consumption of lots of silver. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. Silver turns your skin blue and your eyes blue as well. Uh, the, uh, the whites of your eyes blue. Do not do that. <laughs> Colloidal silver has been a, a kind of a, a, a folk cure for certain stuff because silver does have antibacterial, antimicrobial uh, properties. But the ingestion of it, it tends to get deposited into your various uh, subcutaneous layers and then you... I'll show you a picture in a second. It looks like Papa Smurf. That's very exciting. Yeah. Hey, guys, Jonathan from 2020 here. Now that my bod is totally modded, I'm going to try it out. But that means we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. So let's talk about some of the high tech stuff now that we've got all those out of the way. And and uh, by the way, if any of our listeners have any of these body modifications, again, my hat's off to you. You know, whatever you do to identify who you are, that's cool with me. Just blame it on me being a total boring social norm kind of guy. And squeamish about eyeballs. A little squeamish about eyeballs. All right, so magnet implants. What? People are getting magnets implanted in them? Like Magneto? Yes. Well, not like Magneto didn't have magnets implanted. Probably not well, on no. purpose. That's anyway, true. no. No, this, this this is people who who want to harness an extra sense. Oh, I see. So this goes beyond our our normal senses. So you know, a whole touch and sight and smell and sound and taste and uh, and uh, and and Schadenfreude. So, so supposedly, this this gives um, th- these are these are magnets that are subdermally implanted mm-hmm. that that give people the ability to sense electromagnetic fields. Yes. So the idea here is that they're very small mm-hmm. and they gen- generally tend to get implanted uh, a little bit off to the side of the pad of the finger on normally the ring finger on the non-dominant hand. And the thinking there goes... That if something goes wrong with the implant, that's the least useful finger? Yeah, that, that if you were to suffer any nerve damage or just that, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't interfere with your normal activities because that finger also has the least amount of impact when it comes to gripping. So, uh, and they wanted it to be off to the side, obviously, because if you had to do an emergency gripping situation, like let's say you're rock climbing and you suddenly lose your grip and you need to hold on to something, uh, and you're it, Sylvester it Stallone... Out. Yeah, it could tear out or you could crush it. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Either way is bad. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to do that. Also, again, magnets, we're talking about surgery again. It's a surgical procedure that's being done usually by people who are not surgeons. Uh, biohackers tend to be kind of, uh, they're on the forefront of this stuff. You know, they're biohackers or grinders, as I found out they're also called, um, tend to, uh, to be pretty far ahead of the curve on this. So, uh, they, Again, the the procedure tends to be done with either some topical local anesthetic or nothing at all. They will create an incision, insert the magnet, suture it shut. The magnet is small and tends to just vibrate when it comes into when it comes near something like an, a magnetic field. So you would be able to tell when electricity is flowing through something because that creates a magnetic field, right? So you would move your hand near something that's cre- that's running electricity through it, and you're like, oh, I sense that. You would feel the pull, right. Yeah, so that's the idea is that you have created a brand new sense. Now, granted, this sense is still very much uh, aligned with touch, right? Right. It's a it's an advanced form of touch, yes, you could say. It's extended our touch. 
And uh, but it would give you ability to touch stuff that normally you wouldn't be able to, like magnetic fields, electric fields. You'd also be able to do cool things like lift paper clips, you know, without having to pinch your fingers. Assuming much, they're Ferris paper clips. Right. I know how much effort it is to pick up a paper clip, so thank goodness we found a solution to that problem. Yeah, any ferrous material you could stick to a little bit. The the magnets tend to be pretty small and not very powerful, so it's not like you would go to the refrigerator to get yourself a cool drink only to be stuck, stuck to, to it. it. Yeah, which would be hilarious, but not actually what would happen to you. However, that being said, there is one situation I can think of where you would need to be really careful, and that's if you had to get an MRI. Yes, that, that that would be something that you would want, um, perhaps, you know, printed on a note in your wallet or something. Yeah, super uh, powerful yeah. magnets there. I mean, that could rip right through the flesh, flesh of your finger. Yeah, yeah. And you could end up with a hole where your magnet used to be. Um, yeah, dangerous stuff. So that's one one case where I would think you would need to be very careful. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I read an interesting article on Wired. The guy who wrote it actually had one of these put into his finger as part of the story. I'm like, wow, that's dedicated journalism. I do not think I would have done that. Nope, nope, errors. Uh He also had the problem of the magnet breaking at one point, uh, like breaking into pieces. And for a while, it wasn't working at all, and his finger turned black, or part of his finger turned black, which you would think would be something of a warning sign. But eventually his finger got better. Uh, he had a little bit of an infection from it, but he fought it off. That's good. Um, and then because it's a magnet, it eventually reformed itself enough so that it works again, although he says not quite at the level at what it did when he first got it done. Oh, biohackers. So uh, there have also been a couple of groups that have created some devices that actually extend abilities beyond just detecting magnetic fields. So uh, in this case, they've created sensors that can uh, that are tripped from various things. Like it could be a temperature sensor, it could be a distance sensor, and when it detects something, it will then create a magnetic field which activates the magnet. So in other words, you're giving yourself even more extrasensory perception abilities. Uh, one of the demos I saw had a guy with a blindfold on who would extend his hand out holding one of these devices, uh, and the device would detect through, I, I think, radio waves, uh, kind of like radar, when it got close to something else. So he could actually detect when something was in front of him, even if he couldn't see it. Oh, cool. So so for medical purposes, for example, um, we, we, we could give these to the blind yeah, and help impaired. them. impaired. Uh-huh. It could easily be something like that. Uh, but at the time when I was looking at it, the way he was just demonstrating it, it was only when he was pretty close that he was able. And it, and it was kind of like, like if you've ever seen someone using a metal detector, it was kind of like sweeping across the area uh, before mm-hmm. figuring out, oh, it's it's at this point in front of me. But with and, improvements, that that would be, that's an interesting thing yeah. to watch. But the whole thing with the demo, I just kept thinking, or you could just look. Because they, were, they, were, they weren't using a blind person as the example. As the test, right. So I was just like, wow, this, this sure does take away that whole tough thing of looking two feet in front of you. Uh, but that was me being smart. Or, or at this point, it sounds like, or, you know, it's, it's you could just extend your hand the extra two inches and see but, if but something was To be really fair, there, this but. is... Early, early days of biohacking. It's obviously not something that's meant to be rolled out to a wide audience, but it's got interesting potential. Right. Then we've got RFID implants. This is where we talk about Kevin Warwick, whom we have spoken about in a previous episode of Tech Stuff. Chris and I did an episode. I think we talked about cyborgs, and we brought up Kevin Warwick. He's often referred to as one of the early cyborgs, mostly because he's just done some kind of pioneering work in implanting technology into himself. Uh, not personally, he actually had other people perform the procedure, but That's he, good. he developed good. what it was that was going to happen. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, he's a, a, a British, you know, mathematician and scientist who um, 
he worked with some people to have originally a, a microchip, a chip transponder implanted in his forearm. And they used local anesthetic. They did the procedure. And it allowed him to do things like uh, unlock doors or turn on lights. Essentially, if you've ever worked in a place where they have electronic locks and you have a little key card that you swipe in front of a uh, a, a detector, we do here, um, then that that's the same sort of thing. Except that instead of a card, he just had to wave his arm in front of it. Which, you know, again, it's showing the potential for the technology. It wasn't meant to be like, this is going to be part of me forever and ever and ever. Oh, right, right. And it wasn't being rolled out to everyone. Yeah. It, no, it's his... not like everyone who worked in that building had to go and get surgery so right. that they could work. Uh, but it did allow him also to be tracked by a computer whenever he was moving through the Department of Cybernetics at the University of Reading. And uh, that implant it was not meant to be permanent. It was removed after he had done essentially, uh, I think, a couple of weeks of this and sort of shown the proof of concept. It's uh, now uh, in the Science Museum in London, isn't yep, it? Yep, it yeah. sure is. Uh, or at least last I heard it is. I mean, I assume it's still there. They can track it if it's not. Uh, but then since then, a lot of people, not a lot, but several other people have done RFID chip implants to kind of do everything from control basic electronics to activate other things like doors and lights. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, this is the same technology that, that if you're if your dog or cat um, or other pet, I suppose you could put them in really whatever you wanted to, yeah. um, has has a microchip, uh, yep. then that is, that is same, what that same is. Same basic idea, exactly. The microchips are, uh, they essentially have a signal on them that mm-hmm. when you have a, a, uh, a device that can read the signal, can come up with whatever the code is, and then you can type it into a database and find out, where that animal belongs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, if you've ever microchipped a pet, it's the same basic concept, except it's being used on humans. Now, obviously, this is already something that has also been legislated in lots of places, including the United States. Several states have made it against the law mm-hmm. to implant or, in some cases, like I think Georgia, force the implantation process upon people. Uh, right. Some of the worries, I think, were that um, that either people were going to microchip their their Children or, or convicts, or, convicts, or right? employees, or employees, which in some companies feels like the same thing, hmm. either as children or convicts or children convicts. I got an idea for a reality show. I'll talk to you after the show. Uh, anyway, yeah. So uh, 2002, Warwick also had another surgical procedure done where he had about 100 electrodes attached to one of his nerves which allowed him to have some neural uh, control over devices like a wheelchair or a little electronic hand. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's that's kind of like the that's the next step, right? These are the the science fictiony kind of ways. And I think we can end on the Mondo Bizarro weirdo way, which was the Stelios Arcadius, also known as Stellark, the performance artist who had a human ear surgically attached to his forearm. Uh, it was grown. It was not. It was not a human it was, it was ear. It was a cultured ear. Yes, it wasn't wasn't harvested. There's not a Van Gogh walking around saying, I can't hear anything, but my ear is art. Uh, this was actually grown in a lab and then surgically attached to his arm. He, at least at some point, had plans on also getting a microphone and transmitter uh, also part as, as part of this ear project so that you could, quote unquote, hear what the ear was hearing. Because it's not a working organ. It's just cosmetic. And that wraps up another classic episode of Tech Stuff. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you have suggestions for future topics of Tech Stuff, reach out to me on Facebook or Twitter. The handle at both of those is TechStuffHSW, and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 